The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thank you for joining us. Uh, obviously, we weren't here last week. I hope you were enjoying a, a good time with family and friends uh, around the table, enjoying turkey and, and football and, and, and hopefully uh, talking horses. Uh, we're going to be talking horses uh, this week with uh, two outstanding individuals. Uh, our, our first guest will be Steve Haskin. Uh, you'll know him as a, a top writer with the Blood Horse magazine. Uh, also, he does his, uh, his uh, tete-a-tete and they're off with uh, Lenny Shulman uh, video-wise on, on their website. Uh, Steve has some great insights uh, into the sport and recently had a very interesting trip on his way home from the Breeders' Cup, and he'll be sharing that with us. And then we're going to go down south where it's a little bit warmer. Uh, Bobby Newman from Calder, of course, uh, outstanding race caller, but also an outstanding race analyst. And uh, Calder's going to be closing out their season. Uh, Bobby's going to kind of paint with a broad brush how things went there uh but we are closing out with two graded stakes races on friday so we're going to we're going to get you out of the house uh and off to a, a track or an OTB parlor a little bit sooner than we normally do so we're going to be able to do uh two races on friday and then we'll handicap two for the saturday card hate to start the show off uh with a heavy heart but uh racing lost one of its uh, very very Good guys. Last week, Bob Holthus, trainer, got passed away. Uh, anybody that knew Holthus knew he was just a class act, uh, and he was uh, a man of his word. Uh, he did pass away in, in Louisville. He had had some heart problems. Uh, he was 77 years old. Of course, he was eulogized as, as a prince of a man. And uh, Churchill Downs had a very uh, beautiful service for him. Uh, the, the chapel was just packed. Uh, a lot of people will know Holthus from Hot Springs, but he also spent his uh, time uh, in the Louisville area and at Churchill Downs. Um, one of my best friends uh, spoke at the uh, uh, occasion, and that was John McKee, because Bob Holthus uh, took him as from a little rider of River Downs and turned him into uh, the top rider out there at Oak Lawn Park and uh, gave him the leg up on some of his best horses. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, John, uh, who spoke at uh, the uh, event, uh, rode three of Bob Holtz's derby starters uh, during his training training career of nearly 60 years. And a gentleman we had on the show just last uh, two weeks ago, uh, John Asher, who's so eloquent, uh, he also uh, spoke at the service. Uh, Jerry Russell, who was his Louisville neighbor for nine years, he's the one that called Holthus the prince of a man who was honest, reliable, ethical, and someone whom yes said yes and no meant no. Uh, it was Tuesday uh, when Holthus uh, did pass away. Uh, he started his training career on his 18th birthday back in 1952, uh, won over 2,800 races from 19,000 starts. His stable won over $46 million. He, I, he was the all-time leading trainer at Oak Lawn Park and really just ruled the roost there. Uh, also, he led meets at a half a dozen other trainers. So Bob Holthus, 
uh, will sorely be missed uh, in the Buckeye State. Another person uh, that's going to the Buckeye State, I'm sorry, the Bluegrass State, and in racing all over. Uh, another guy that's going to be missed in Kentucky, surprisingly, uh, John Beach. And surprising news was dismissed as the Kentucky steward this week. Uh, according to his lawyer, uh, five months after the commission conducted the hearings into whether or not Life at 10 should have started in the 2010 Breeders' Cup. Uh, Veach, of course, you'll remember him as a Hall of Fame trainer. He was appointed as the chief state steward in 2005. Uh, he was informed of the dismissal by a letter from the Kentucky Public Protection Cabinet, which oversees the Racing Commission. Uh, Beach was charged with multiple violations of Kentucky racing law for failing to order Life at 10 to be examined after John Velasquez, the Phillies rider, was telling television commentators that Life at 10 was not warming up like she normally does. If any of you saw that and you already had a bet on the horse, then you know how I felt. Uh, he just was describing a horse that just didn't feel like herself. And from what I understand, uh, this information uh, was on in the steward stand. Uh, a lot of people think uh, maybe Johnny V should have expe- accepted the responsibility. Obviously, a lot of people think that John V should have made sure that this horse went to the, the vet. Uh, of course, many of you saw the race. She just kind of galloped out of the gate and went around the track. Uh, because of the dismissal, uh, it was issued without a cause. Uh, Veach cannot appeal the decision as a state employee. However, there might be looking into avenues of recourse that might be available to John Veach, a man that I always thought was very much of a class act. Um, well, what do you say we turn over to some good news in racing, and uh, we'll uh, talk about something that happened at Aqueduct last week. Uh, ex-jockey Andrew Lakeman uh, won his first race as a trainer. Uh, he is uh, currently uh, wheelchair-bound. Uh, what was going to be a sad day at Thanksgiving turned out to be a good one. It ended up on a positive note when his horse, uh, the Skies of Beauty, overcame a slow start to win the last race, giving his first win as an owner-trainer. He was paralyzed in 2007 in a spill at Belmont. And and following his recovery, his family tried to get him to go back to his native England, but Lakeman said it had always been his dream to train a horse in in the New York Racing Association circuit, and he got that job done. Uh, According uh, to Andrew, when I got hurt, this was from the very beginning my goal. I wanted to stay here in New York, and I wanted to train, even though his parents wanted to get him back to England. And so now uh, his, his dream has started, and that was a, a nice, warm, and wonderful story to share around the table this Thanksgiving. Also, uh, on the good news front, Cornelio Velasquez joins the 3,000 Club. This is some more news out of Aqueduct. I recorded his 3,000th career victory on Sunday. Uh, according to uh, stats, uh, Velasquez is the 158th jockey to record 3,000 North American victories. Uh, he has also won more than 1,000 races in his native Panama, where he rode for 14 years before moving to the U.S. Uh, Cornelio uh, ranks third in the Naira standings for 2011 with 169 winners. He'll stay in New York this winter to ride. Uh, during last year's Aqueduct meet, he finishes third as the third leading rider. All right, Turkey Day news. Well, Fairgrounds opening up on its traditional Turkey Day, and uh, there were some people that had a lot of celebrating to do, and uh, that was uh, Al Stahl and Evelyn Benoit. Uh, Al Stahl came home the first time in his career with uh, four winners on the Thanksgiving card. He's had three a couple of times, but never had four. He uh, 
nail the pick three for you if you bet the third, fourth, and fifth races. And also, uh, Evelyn Benoit uh, captured four wins on Turkey Day at the at the fairgrounds uh, with three different trainers. Uh, one of them uh, was a horse by the name of Gantry. She won the Thanksgiving Day Handicap, uh, who for a trainer, his first ever stakes winner, uh, Ron Fauché, a New Orleans native and the stepson of owner-trainer Louis Roussel. Uh, this guy worked for Todd Pletcher, Steve Claceris, and Billy Badgett before being hired by... Uh, Owner Frank Calabrese back in 2009. Uh, he's not with uh, Calabrese anymore, but uh, his stable now numbers 21, split between the fairgrounds and Evangeline. So uh, Fauché's 21 wins in 2011 have come at 31 percent. You want to remember it's it's spelt F A U C H E A U, but down in Louisiana, that is Fauché. So best of luck to this young trainer, and congrats again to Al Stahl and Evelyn Benoit. Uh, Churchill Downs, uh, we had the grade one, and uh, it was uh, Wise Dan that uh, was a bit of an upset, but kind of making up for last year. Um, last year, owner Mort Fink and uh, Chuck Lepresti thought they'd won the Clark when successful Dan finished first, but he got DQ'd. Well, this year it was a different Dan. It was Wise Dan uh, just cruising to three and three-quarter length in that $572,000 grade one. Very interesting. Johnny V, who could have had a lot of mouths across the country, um, decided to go to Churchill and, and pick up the mount. Uh, he tracked the early pace set by Will's Wildcat and Mission Impassable. I was just ahead of him most of the way. He got first run turning for home, but down the stretch, it was just no contest. It, it was wise, Dan. He was the second choice uh, in the field of uh, 13 three-year-olds, and returned $11. Not too bad. Um, for more news out of the grade one, Clark, uh, there's going to be a horse that a lot of people uh, held close to their heart that looks like he's going to be ending up going to the uh, the breeding shed here, and that's going to be General Quarters. He didn't get injured, uh, but uh, uh, Tom McCarthy, his 77-year-old trainer, uh said he was just concerned about the lack of interest that he, that he had in his recent races. Uh, General Quarters just didn't come over feeling like himself. Uh, McCarthy just said, hey, it's his time. He walked over there Friday like an old cow. <laughs> As you may recall, uh, General Quarters, uh, when he did win a race, he, he won some big ones. Uh, he's the son of Sky Mesa. He only won four of 27 starts, but uh, the big ones he won was the, the grade one bluegrass at Keeneland when he was a three-year-old in 2009. And then he came back and he won the grade one Woodford Reserve Turf Classic in 2010 on the Derby undercard. Uh, McCarthy, you know, i got to say, he's got a pretty uh, lucky man, uh, this horse who's winning $1.2 million. He claimed the horse for 20000 It was pretty much a one-horse barn. He says he's had about six offers for general quarters as a stallion prof, uh, prospect. He's not sure where he's going to go. And uh, rolling out to the uh, the end of the Churchill meet, a promising two-year-olds, uh, the Goldenrod went to On Fire Baby. You may recall in 2008, a horse by the name of Rachel Alexandra won this race, and when it went on to win the 2000, uh, 2000 Oaks, and uh, this time she took home the uh, the Goldenrod Stakes. And uh, this could be things promising things to come. On Fire Baby, Joe Johnson aboard for owner breeder Anna Cauley. Uh, let's see, we'll uh, 
take a look at just a, a few more races, and then uh, Steve Haskin will be up with us as our first gate. Let me try to squeeze in a couple more results before we get uh, before we get Steve on here after the break. Uh, also, gemologist, another two-year-old. Uh, won the Kentucky Jockey Club Stakes, and I just mentioned Rachel winning uh, the Goldenrod. Well, let's go back in time. 2009 Super Saver won this race, and uh, the comparisons will begin. Uh, Gemologist uh, looking like another Windstar Colt, Super Saver. Uh, the Grade 2 Kentucky Jockey Club Stakes at Churchill uh, now unbeaten in the process. Um, and, of course, Elliot Walden, who was on winningponies.com about three weeks ago, says he's sure there's going to be a lot of comparisons. Uh, with uh, Xavier Castellano aboard, he just pounced from a stalking position to the lead on the far turn after ever so lucky. The 8-5 to five favorite in the field of 11 put him away and came home on top. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see where he goes. It looks like uh, we'll see if uh, he, like Super Saver, can pull off the Kentucky Jockey Club Derby double. Uh, and then, of course, it was the end of the, the Churchill meet. And uh, dead heat for top in trainer title. Uh, it was uh, Steve Asmussen and Mike Maker. Uh, Asmussen uh, had a chance to go in front, uh, Maker or to, uh, led going into the final race, but uh, Asmussen held on. So the title was sixth in a row at Churchill for Asmussen in his 11th overall at Churchill Downs. Uh, for Maker, it was the only other Churchill title came in 2008. Julian Leparu rode 34 winners to be the leading jockey for the fifth straight fall meet and his ninth Churchill title overall. And Ken and Sarah Ramsey led all owners with 12, extending their Churchill record meet to 18 titles. Billy Mott, well, he didn't win any titles, but he sure took home the cash. What a meet. More than $4.1 million in stable earnings, and that's not too bad for less than a month's work. Uh, This is stuff for history books. A sweep in the $2 million Breeders' Cup Ladies Classic with Royal Delta, and then the $5 million Breeders' Cup Classic with Drosselmeyer, followed by wins in the Grade 3 Cardinal and the Deluxe in the Fall City. Well, I'm trying to put five... uh, 10 pounds in a 5-pound pack to honor and serve. Another Mott trainee uh, took the Cigar Mile victory. This was a huge win, a quarter-million-dollar race, grade one. Uh, looks like he'll be going down to Florida and is going to be taking that route again. So to honor and serve, really a horse that, that moved to the top uh, late in the uh, in the season. And another big news out of New York, Awesome Feather. She remains undefeated now. Uh, Frank Stronach took a big gamble and bought her out of the Keeneland sale as a horse in training for $2.3 million. They found a little hitch in her get-along, uh, but since then uh, she's come back uh, very well. And uh, she's stretched out now to a mile and an eighth for trainer Chad Brown, who's done a great job. So uh, she remains undefeated and quite the filly. Well, we're going to have to move on for the rest of the race results. You know where to go. It was uh, two weeks of, of, of racing since we talked to you last. But right now, I'm really looking forward to getting together with Steve Haskin and talking to him about uh, his insights into racing and his recent travel through the Bluegrass State. We'll be right back on winningponies.com. Well, I'm walking to the room, passing out hundred-dollar bills, and it kills and it thrills like the horns on my Silverado grill. And I buy the bar double round the Internet flagship station for sports. 
Voice America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Football and so much more is the focus of Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson. Join the former Arizona Cardinals running back for a show that mixes, well, a little bit of everything. Damian brings to the program life experiences playing football and will talk about his variety of successes both on and off the field. The goal is to provide you with a fun perspective on life, family, success, and of course, football. Tune in to Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson, Fridays at noon Pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america sports channel your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And joining me, uh, just an, an outstanding guest I'm looking forward to uh, talking to, and that would be Steve Haskin. Uh, he's, he's an award winner. I'm sure one he's very proud of is the National Turf Writers Walter Haight Award uh, that he won back in uh, 2004 for excellence in, in, in turf writing. Of course, he's associated uh, with the Blood Horse magazine. A lot of people will like his series, Hanging with Haskin. It's fun, especially when it's leading up to uh, the Triple Crown time to read his insights and kind of using his eyes to, to watch what's developing on the scene be prior to the big races. He does the same for the Breeders' Cup. Uh, it does a, a very, uh, I think, uh, fun segment uh, video-wise on bloodhorse.com uh, with, with Lenny Shulman uh, and they're off. Uh, they recently uh, had their, uh, their Turkey Day special, and I enjoyed the leftovers, I will say. And... Uh, but, uh, Steve, uh, what I want to do is, uh, in, in reading so many different things you've done in your bio, that you once worked on Wall Street. How do you get from Wall Street to the backstretch? Oh, boy, I don't think you want to hear that one. That's a long one. <laughs> was, well, uh, give, give, give us the uh, condensed version, version, because it is a different life path. Uh, yeah, I, I somehow wound up on uh, on Wall Street, you know, starting as a... Uh, just sort of as a, uh, a, a quote boy and wound up moving up to trading stocks in the uh, over-the-counter market, which I call the penny stock uh, market. And I really didn't like it that much. And uh, during the time I worked there, I became interested in horse racing. A friend of mine took me to the track once, and I became hooked, and I just went full blast into horse racing. I absolutely loved it finally decided Wall Street wasn't for me, and I, I, I gave it up, and I was out of work for quite a long time and tried applying for a few jobs and really had no skills or anything, just love for horse racing and doing as much reading about it as possible. 
And well, then how did you a, land your job uh, a, 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 as a writer? This, this surprises me. Well, somehow I got I got I got I got called in by the Morning Telegraph, you know, which was the Eastern the main edition of the Daily Racing Forum back then. And they they uh, they called me in for an interview. So I spoke with the uh, editor, and he asked me if I knew how to type, and I didn't. And he said, "Okay, well, you know, so, uh, sorry about that." And and I was kind of disheartened. But then um, I just happened to ask for the if if he had past performances for one of my favorite horses, uh, Graustark. And while uh, he called in the librarian, while uh, while they were making uh, copies, the librarian told me, he "says You know, I'm going to need an assistant in here." Um, if you want, you know, you can uh, you can start as a uh, as a copy boy, and then when you uh, learn how to type, you can come into the library. So I started working as a copy boy there, and never did learn how to type. I just couldn't learn, <laughs> but I did. I did eventually get into the library because I faked my way in to, to tell them I knew how to type, um, and I got into the library and you know worked as head librarian for. 20 years for the Daily Racing Forum, moving to Hightstown, New Jersey, and started doing freelance writing for several magazines, mainly in Europe. Became an American correspondent for Stud and Stable magazine, um, and just kept doing working for Pacemaker magazine and writing a column for certain English publications, and then I started branching into the Thoroughbred Record, and then the Thoroughbred Times became a correspondent there, and then eventually uh, the uh, Racing Forum promoted me from librarian to um, to writer as doing feature writer and then next thing I know I was replacing uh, Joe Hirsch doing Derby Doings and what a pair uh, of shoes to fill there yeah and I was like I was I was honored because you know he 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 started that in the 1950s nobody had done that before from the 1950s and this was now 19 this was 1992 and um, he called up one day and said he can't do Derby Doings anymore, and he suggested that I take over the column for him. And uh, it actually wasn't a column; it was more of a news, uh, you know, a news article every day. Oh yeah, I was, I was, I was devoted every day at the Derby, you know. And I put my own twist to it, and everything just um, snowballed from there. And then, of course, I wound up with the uh, Blood Horse. I left the racing form after 29 years when they sold it and they brought in their own people. And um, so I was hired by the Blood Horse, doing basically the same thing I was at the racing form, and just kept kept going in there. And um, and uh, you know, I've just been incredibly lucky. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. It's just well, I you know, know the, the thing is, it shows in your writing. One thing that that I get out of uh, your. Uh, Articles is your your respect for your past and respect for greatness. And I'm going to really fast forward right now. I, I did see see you briefly at the Breeders' Cup, but then I pulled up the internet and I saw what kind of an interesting trip that you had on the way back after the Breeders' Cup. Uh, could you tell our listeners about uh, the, the 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 two ladies you visited on the way back? Yeah, that was uh, that was quite a day. That actually was before the Breeders' Cup. It was um, on the Tuesday before the Breeders' Cup, and oh, okay, I thought it was on your travels home. No, no, no I just no, I came straight home after that. This was uh, this was on the Tuesday before, and after after all the morning activities, you know, all the workouts and the training and everything, and so I went with um, Ernie Munich, who works for the New York Racing Association, and Richie Migliori, who actually arranged 
the whole thing to go see uh, Zenyatta and Rachel Alexandra, and I, I would think that we're probably the only, the only people that have seen both Phillies, you know, or Mayors now on the same day. Yes, a rare daily double, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, you know, they've they've opened the farm up to Rachel, and you know, she's had a lot of visitors, but they still haven't to Zenyatta, so it's still very difficult to uh, to get to see her. I know a lot of you know a lot of racing people have gone to the farm to see the stallions, but they still weren't able to go see uh, Zenyatta. So this, this was actually my second trip to see her. I saw her in the winter, shortly after she arrived. Uh, went there with my wife, and that, that was that was great. And it was a lot of snow on the ground, but you know now seeing her months later, pregnant and you know looking a lot different than she did back in uh, January. So I've got to ask you, you know, have both uh, mayors uh, held on to their, uh, their their unique personalities? Oh, yeah. I mean, both both of them were great. Ra- Ra- Rachel was wonderful. I mean, it was when we got to the farm, she was actually standing outside a barn waiting for us. <laughs> and and uh, Ernie Munich, really, he's, he's like madly in love with her. So uh, he was like in a, an emotional state being around her. But she just stood there and just let us hug her and pet her and, you know, do whatever we wanted. And, you know, because she was a little bit feisty when she was uh, a racehorse. And Zenyatta, of course, you know, they brought out and they brought out her to barn because she, she had been see the vet that day, so she wasn't out in the paddock, which was actually fortuitous for us because they brought her out to a small grassy area right outside the barn, let her graze, and we just we just hung out with her, for, you know, as with Rachel for about at least 45 minutes to an hour. And, uh, again, you know, Zenyatta, she'll, she'll let you do anything you want to her. She's just, a, she's just like an old cow. She was like that as a racehorse as well. Yeah, I was around her after uh, the, the, she lost the Breeders' Cup, and they brought her out, and she was literally stopping traffic. Oh, well, <laughs> were no, stopping the cars and getting out and sticking their fingers through to scratch your nose. It was just a fantastic display of class. Uh, it's, it's almost like uh, she knew the cameras were rolling and, and loved acting for them. Oh, that was that, that, that day after the Breeders' Cup was like one of the most amazing days I can remember. Um, in fact, I went back and really wrote my story very, very quickly that day because I wanted to get back to the barn. Um, but like you said, literally the traffic was, uh, people were stopping along the ways, people getting out of the cars, and finally, you know, police had to come along and, and, um, and have, them, uh, have them move. You know, people walking by were just staying outside the fence. You know, dozens and dozens of people outside the fence bringing her cakes and uh, and and carrots, feeding her carrots through the fence, and it, it was unbelievable. And inside the fence, people were all, like lined up to have their picture taken with her, as if like little kids lining up for a pony ride. Yeah, John Sheriff was a class act because he he knew she could handle it, and she wasn't gonna oh, yeah. you know hurt herself in any way. And he he was just a, a great ambassador to the sport on the way that he exposed her to the public. Yeah, I mean it was just yeah that was that was one of the most amazing days I can remember. But you know, it's just seeing both of them and both of them um, holding their flesh really well. In fact, I thought uh, even though Rachel Alexander is farther along in her pregnancy. Um, she actually looks less pregnant than Zenyatta, and her coat was was resplendent. I mean, her coat looked incredible. I mean, it was like her coat was in 
in racing condition. Not that Zenyatta uh, was, was all that shabby. Her coat looked pretty darn good, too. You know, but uh, she doesn't quite have the dapple she did when she was a racehorse. But, she, you know, coat looked great. But she looked like she was pregnant. Uh, yeah. Rachel really did not look that pregnant. So um, I guess it's just, you know, just the way they're, uh, the way they're built. But like I said, both, uh, you know, both mares were great and just, just let us do anything we want to. And we got some great, great photographs. I posted a whole bunch of them on Facebook. You know, and, and you're leading me in, into my next question is you have developed, uh, <laughs> from Wall Street to the backstretch, an amazing eye and ability to, to describe a horse. I think that's one of the, the, Things I enjoy about your derby doings and the fact that uh, you're one of those brave souls that gets up, whatever the weather is, and you're out there watching these horses. I, I love your description of, of how the horses are going and, in particular, kind of how they interact with their handlers, how they look physically. Um, you've really developed uh, a marvelous sense of that over the years. Well, thank you. That's, I mean, that's what I tried to do, basically. That's, that's the main change I made. From Joe Hirsch's uh, Derby doings, and Joe used to just report on the activities of each horse and, and quotes from the trainers. But I started interjecting my own personal, you know, observations and how they look, how they're training. Um, my, my intent was not only to inform the public on how the Derby horses were doing physically and training-wise, but to be as descriptive as possible in order to get the readers as close to where I was as possible. You know, I know a lot of people would would give anything to be able to come to the Derby, and most people can't. You know, a lot of racing fans in the Midwest and little more remote places in the United States where, you know, it's more difficult to get to the Derby or to a racetrack in general. And my main goal, you know, in, in that and in the writing in general is to just bring the reader there and have them try to experience as much as racing as possible because I realize how fortunate I've been over the years and I just try to share that with people as much as possible. Well, Steve, if that's your goal, you, you, you scored it big time because uh, you really do an, an excellent job. Well, my back's up against the wall on a break here, and, man, I could talk to you for an hour. I, I do want to touch upon one thing. I really kind of enjoy your uh, uh, on-camera visits with my friend Lenny Shulman. It kind of brings me back to years ago to kind of account. Uh, point counterpoint uh, that we used to watch on 60 Minutes. Uh, did you enjoy that as much as uh, we viewers? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Lenny makes it a lot of fun, and he uh, he certainly really gets into it because Lenny's a, a a a TV guy and an entertainment guy uh, first and foremost. Before he got into into horse racing, um, Lenny, in fact, has an has an Emmy award for um, for the NFL pregame show. Um, so he's he's really into uh, into TV. So he he gets into this, and we've patterned it after the show. Pardon the interruption. Um, where we just have to just try to go back and forth. We don't argue as much as those two guys do, but um, but sometimes Lenny gets on his uh, on his soapbox, and he can go off pretty well on certain issues. Well, I, I know I know Lenny uh, as an Emmy, but he also has a Razzie. If you, if you don't know that, for his work with Andrew Dice Clay. So <laughs> uh, you were, uh, you were, I, I was going to mention that. I was 
I, I, I didn't know if you were aware that he was that he did work for uh, for, for Dice. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to get him back on the show. We had some technical difficulties. We booked a few weeks ago, but anyhow, I, I went to his partner and I uh, asked uh, all of our uh, winning ponies uh, listeners: you go up to bloodhorse.com, uh, take take a look at, at at Steve and Lenny as they go back and forth on their uh, and their off segment. And meanwhile, uh, just keep uh, hanging with Haskins, Steve. Thanks so much for spending some time with us, and I sure hope we can uh, speak again when the when the Derby Trail starts getting paid. That would be my pleasure, John. It was good talking to you. All right. Thank you very much. Award-winning writer Steve Haskin with us on winningponies.com. Coming up next, we're going to break down some races, and we're going to find out how this handicapper gets to his winners. That's right, Bobby Newman. You see him down there from the Sunshine State. Till then, take a little break. We'll be right back on winningponies.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This Is It Sports is an engaging talk program that includes you, the experts, and sports, all moderated by Coach Carl Hargrave. We'll talk about what's going on in the general sports world, collegiate and professional, take a look at youth-oriented sports, athletic development and sportsmanship, faith, and where it has its place in sports, along with a lively discussion with Coach Carl every week. Tune in to This Is It Sports with Coach Carl Hargrave every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, back here. I want to thank Steve Haskin uh, for uh, his insights. I'm telling you, you've got to check up with this guy, particularly when it gets to be around derby time. He has an amazing eye uh, for horse flesh, and he really brings you into feeling at the uh, the morning workouts that day. Um, right now, though, we're going to come up uh, with uh, Bobby Newman him from uh, Calder Race Course, and uh, he's also... Uh, uh, kind of, he's a SoCal guy. Came from Los Angeles. He attended uh, UC at Santa Barbara, and then uh, was one of many people that came out of the University of Arizona racetrack industry program, including a guy by the name of uh, Bob Baffert. Uh, his first jobs in racing, he's a hot walker and a groom for the great one, Charlie Whittingham and Bobby Frankel. Wow. 
Talk about touching greatness. Uh, you started announcing uh, just like uh, Pete Aiello on the uh, Arizona Fair Circuit. They must have a grad program for the U of A students. And uh, I got to know Bobby uh, and his race calls when he was calling it Thistledown. We went back and forth between River Downs and Thistledowns in the 7 and 7 program. Uh, it's uh, really matured into a fantastic track announcer and an excellent handicapper. Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Newman, how you doing? I'm doing great, John. Long time no see. Yes, it has been. I see you on TV, but no, I haven't had a chance to see you in person. I'm, I'm hoping to get down to Florida, but uh, when that will be, I don't know. I finally got some brothers that bought some property down there, so I'm going to have to go down and freeload for a little while. So uh, it, this basically is, uh, you're finally going to get a little vacation from Calder now, huh? Well, we our closing day is tomorrow, and normally uh, I would be taking a little time off, but as it turns out, uh, a good friend of ours, Richard Grunder at Tampa Bay Downs, had uh, some minor surgery, so I'm right up to Tampa to fill in for him for the first seven days of their meet, and they open on Saturday. Well, nice to know you're in the neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> Bobby, I, I, I got to say, now you're, you're born and raised in, in L.A. Uh, can, can you share with us how this sport got into your bloodstream? Well, as it turns out, uh, when I was uh, a young teenager, a, a derelict friend of mine, the kind of friend that your parents don't really like you to have, but who was a real good friend of mine, decided, asked if I wanted to go to Hollywood Park one day, so I said yes, and we took two buses to get to Hollywood Park, and were asking people to put bets in for us, since we were too young to bet, Is that right? $20, we decided to go back two weeks later, and I won $75, and right then I said, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> life, I'm never going to have to work a day, and I'm just going to do this from now on, and uh, obviously, that's not exactly the way it works out, but uh, it had me hooked basically from those two times. Uh, then uh, the the, uh, the the work this this I did not know about you that the fact that you were associated with with Charlie Whittingham and Bobby Frankel did that happen after you went to the University of Arizona? It actually uh, was kind of in between stints in Arizona. I went there and I stopped, and then I went back. Uh, I actually worked for Charlie just for a little bit. Uh, it was right after Todd Pletcher had left to go be an assistant for Wayne Lucas, and I ended up taking his position with Charlie Whittingham's barn. Unbelievable. I mean, just, just, to, just to be around him and to see how things are supposed to be done, and I can't imagine that some of the horses you got to see uh, during your days between Whittingham and Frankel. Yeah, they were uh, amazing, and back then it, it seemed like Every other horse, every other stall for Charlie Whittingham uh, was some sort of a stake winner. And uh, you could always tell who the stake winners were. The, uh, the grade one winners always got a peppermint in the morning from Charlie himself. <laughs> so he played favorites, huh? He definitely had his favorites. Um, uh, can, can, you, can you name a horse or two from those barns that uh, impressed you or that you were just thrilled to be around? Uh, the, the big names when I was there, um, well, one that specifically was there that Todd Pletcher uh, rubbed before he left for Lucas was a horse named Peace. Uh, there was Judge Angelucci there at the time, Mill uh -huh. Native, uh, Golden Pheasant. This is back around 89, 90, I would say. Um, and as far as uh, Bobby Frankel went, uh, my favorite horse in his barn was a horse named Dance Card Filled, who uh, I think believe won the Eddie Reed one year down at Del Mar. Um, but, you know, that there were so many real good horses. Uh, like I said, it, you kind of get spoiled. 
All right. Now, how do you make the transition from knocking mud off your boots to having a, a uh, an announcer's booth as your uh, stall? I was trying to figure out a way that I could go to the track every day and actually make money consistently. Uh, because, unfortunately, after those first few times that I went to the track when I really didn't know anything, uh, I, the, the more I learned the harder it seemed to become, uh, you know, the more facets of handicapping that you, you know, the smarter you get, you realize you're not so smart. And, uh, I just love the, the game so much. And, uh, I never had a problem speaking in front of people. So I figured announcing was a good way to go. And it was just, uh, it was a strange way I got into it. I actually called the gentleman who was the announcer on the Arizona fair circuits, who was also the racing secretary, by the way, and asked him if I could come out and, call a race or two here or there when I was out in Arizona, and he said, sure, no problem. Yeah. And I'd make the two-and-a-half, three-hour drive into the middle of nowhere uh, to call a race or two, and I really wasn't very good at all. And uh, as it turned out, uh, just, you know, one of those right places at the right time or right place at the wrong time thing, uh, this gentleman passed away within the next year, and the only person that anyone on the fair circuit knew who could call a race other than him was me. <laughs> so I ended up getting the call and it was that's it started there. Well, you know what? You got to be on the bench to get in the game. That's what I tell everybody. Everybody's like, "How do I start?" I say, "Doesn't matter where you start or whatever. Just get yourself out to the track, take a job, and sooner or later the next guy's going to move on and the coach is going to look down the bench and you're in the game and that's the way it works. All I can tell you is you've really developed your craft ex- extremely well. I really enjoy enjoy your race calling. I, I did in Ohio, but uh, you, you just I think good race callers get better as they go on. You know, we went spotting a horse that's making a winning move and passing that information along to the listeners. Uh, you know, a lot of people go, why do they even have an announcer? You know, and it's like, because if you're there live, you'll know why. You know, you guys, you, you, you're the paintbrush that, that adds the color and, 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 the, and the beauty um, to, to the running of the whole race. Well, anyhow, I could go on and on about your race calling, but I want to go on and on about your handicapping here because I like the, the people that you don't listen to winningpony.com right. and pulling down their products, they, they're, they're going to pull some down for the seventh race at Calder on Friday. We're going a mile and an eighth in the Tropical Turf Handicap. And I, I saw what happened last week, and there, there could be a repeat that could happen this week down in your stakes calendar is that Boy, these Canadian invaders are just rising to the top down there. Yeah, Roger Atfield's had a tremendous tropical meet at Calder already, and he definitely has a big shot, uh, at least in the tropical turf handicap. Uh, he's got a shot in both the races that we've got tomorrow. He's got two horses in the tropical turf handicap, in number two, Mobilizer, and number nine, Hollinger. They're eight and five to one, respectively, on the morning line. And you can make a case for either of them. I actually lean a little bit more toward Mobilizer, who's the 8-to-1 morning line shot. Uh, Logic tells me I'm supposed to lean toward the other one simply because Paco Lopez is riding the other one, whereas Jeffrey Sanchez is aboard Mobilizer. Nothing against Jeffrey Sanchez, but I know Roger Atfield uses Paco Lopez more often than he would use Jeffrey Sanchez. I just think Mobilizer's headed in the right direction. He's only tried the turf twice in his career, but he does have a win and a second to his credit. He's kind of an up-and-comer. He's only had 11 lifetime starts, and his maiden win was only 10 starts ago on the uh, poly track at Woodbine. But he just seems like he's getting better at the right time, 
I like the uh, effort in the grade two autumn last time out, a mile and a sixteenth on their main track up there. And I think he's every bit as good on the turf as he is on the poly track. And at eight to one morning line, he's, uh, he, he looks like he's a, easily one of the ones at a square price. Well, one of the guys from north of the border I don't want to leave out is uh, Ian Black, who's going to be coming in with Stormy Lord. Uh, this horse is coming out of back-to-back wins uh, on yielding turf courses uh, at Parks Racing and at Woodbine. Uh, I think it would be tough to leave this horse off your ticket, a horse that, that beat Hollinger uh, last time out. What do you know about Stormy Lord? I know exactly what you know about him. He's obviously <laughs> a very consistent horse. He was actually the second choice in that Labib stake last time out. Uh, Hollinger was the favorite. They were they were both right around three to one, seven or two. So it must have been a very difficult handicapping race. But Stormy Lord, he's won three of his last four, four of his last six. He's actually already a Group Two winner, winning a seven furlong turf stake uh, up at Woodbine earlier this year. Uh, he looks like he's got some speed, but I don't think he has to be on the lead, and that's probably a good thing because number eight, Chosen Empire, looks like he really wants to lead in the race tomorrow, and I think that's what's going to happen. Chosen Empire will get out in front. Stormy Lord will stalk, and it's just a question of not whether or not he's good enough to win. I think he is, but whether he's not, he's good enough to hold off the closers tomorrow. There's pretty good ones coming that are going to be trying to close from behind him down the stretch. Well, all I know is I'm, I'm going to box uh, the, the Canucks up there in, in the seventh race, the Tropical Turf Handicap. Now we're going to go on to the 10th race, uh, a race that looks like it's being run for the second time this year. Please pronounce this race for me, Bobby. It's the La Praviant, and you're right. It is being run for the second time because of our switch in dates this year. Calder usually runs, or at least until this year, had usually run from the third week in April until the very beginning of January, usually around January 2nd or so. And the La Praviant was one of the races that we would have on either January 1st or January 2nd. And that's what happened with this one. The La Praviant was was run earlier this year uh, on January the 2nd. It was won by uh, Changing Skies. And because we've switched our schedule to now racing from the first week in April to the very beginning of December, we have to bring it back before the year's over. Well, showing up, I think, is a mystery horse in the field, Casablanca Smile, a Chilean bred who's a derby winner. Of course, that was in Chile. It's trained by Shug McGahee that ran second in this race back on January 2nd, but has not been out since. Uh, can this horse come back after a long layoff and be as successful? I see your linesman putting him at 5-2. to two. Right, and she certainly looks like the one to beat. Normally, I would not be interested in uh, any sort of a, a horse coming back off this long of a layoff facing this type of competition, but she's run off layoffs in the past and always seems to fire a pretty good shot. In fact, she looks like she basically never runs a bad race. If you just look at the PPs on the page, she hasn't been out of the money in any of her last 10 starts, and some of those are coming off significant layoffs. So... I think she's going to fire a good shot tomorrow. I think she's going to have to fire one of her real good shots to win. There's some pretty good fillies and mares toward the outside part of the gate that are a little bit more recent in number 10, Cheetah, and number 11, Emerald Beach, who I think are going to make Casablanca smile uh, really run to get the money. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, again, if you like Cheetah at three to one, you got to like Sonata. I see Edgar Prado's going to be down at Calder, uh, riding for Barkley Tag. I, I did see that race, uh, the Doager, if I'm pronouncing that right, at Keeneland, and that was a very impressive race. But Sonata had trouble getting by Emerald Beach at Saratoga, uh, but she did beat Cheetah at that Keeneland race. Uh, this is going to be a, a very interesting race. Well, thank God, though, for Calder because we're finally getting some fields that you can get some numbers, you can make some money. Uh, you know, sad to say we're going to go on to a couple races here in the second portion of our handicapping segment that the races are going to be a little bit shorter. But uh, I want to remind everybody uh, that these two races are going to take place tomorrow at Calder. So get, get your butt out of work, get to the racetrack or an OTB parlor as fast as you can because Bobby just kind of puts you on some of the hot horses. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to come back and we're going to go way down yonder to New Orleans, and then we're going to Hollywood. That's right, I'm with Bobby Newman from Calder. We'll be right back on winningponies.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And with Bobby Newman from Calder Racecourse, who's also... Not only the track announcer, but the one heck of a handicapper. You'll see him in the paddock breaking down the horses every now and then. I'm going to take him out of his safety zone right now, and we're going to go down to the fairgrounds at New Orleans. Uh, this is an event that's uh, traveled around the country a little bit, and uh, it's the Claiming Crown, and this is a series of races for horses that have been claimers, and but the purses are the biggest they'll run for all year long. Uh, they have claimers at every single division. Uh, this, this is a... a a series that some trainers strictly uh, point towards all year long. And what we're going to start out with what's the richest race, $150,000. It's called the Claiming Jewel. And quite frankly, I think there's a horse in here that got bought just to run in this race. It's not the one I'm going to pick. Uh, Bobby, I'm looking at Al 
Matuzeb that just got claimed by Maker. I mean, this horse sold for over a half a million bucks, has an impeccable pedigree, was claimed first for 50000 and Maker picks it up out of a Hawthorne race, a good winning effort, for 35000 which just gets him into this field. You agree with my assessment? Yeah, I, in fact, I, looking at the race and handicapping it, I'm guessing that the connections who had this horse, trainer Merrill Scherer and the uh, owners, probably were trying to sneak this horse by for that $35,000 tag. It looks like that is by far the cheapest that he had been uh, racing for in his career. Oh, yeah. I'm guessing that they were looking at this race ahead of time and hoping nobody would take it, and unfortunately for them, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, Mike Maker, hard to slip one by him. But uh, quite frankly, I, I think uh, that it's probably going to have to have to beat uh, harmonizer. Uh, when I handicap, I, I pull my PPs down early. I don't have odds. I, I've got to guess that uh, Harmonizer is going to go off at the favorite. You talk about a horse for course. He's raced five times at the fairgrounds. He's got uh, three wins and, and a second. Kind of a stalking style uh, pace. Is it, coming out of a $125,000 stakes race. Uh, I don't know if you can concur or you can find a long shot that can beat him. Well, I have the morning lines here, and Harmonizer is actually third choice on You're morning lines. You're kidding me, really? One. The entry of uh, Al Mutasib and Isthmus are eight to five favorites, and the uh, horse down on the bottom for Steve Asmussen, it happened again as the second choice at two to one. So you may get a better price than you think on Harmonizer. By the way, Mike Maker trains three of the six runners in this race. <laughs> uh, it looks to me like your horse, Harmonizer, and the horse I like, Al Mutasib should both get an absolutely perfect trip uh, in the uh, claiming crown on Saturday. The other four runners, to me, look like they all other will either want to be in front or pressing the pace, and I think it's just going to sit out beautifully for both of these Mike Maker trainees, Harmonizer and Al Mutasib. The reason that I lean toward Al Mutasib is, to me, it looks like Julian Leperu may be the go-to rider for Mike Maker. Oh, yeah. Uh, Anna Napravnik, who rides Isthmus, I don't believe normally rides for Maker. And uh, Corey Lannery, I think, has ridden uh, maybe nine horses for Maker in the last couple of months, where Leperou seems like he rides two or three a day for Maker. Well, I see that the jockey trainer percentage for uh, Lannery and Maker's uh, uh, 24%, which ain't too shoddy. That's not too shabby, but, I, but the uh, Julian Leperou uh, with Mike Maker the last 60, I believe, is at 29%. So even a little bit better. And uh, if you get throw in the fact that First off, the claim Mike Maker is somewhere around 32%. Uh, it, it's going to be very tough to get by either of these horses. Like I said, I think they're both going to get the trip you want in here. Harmonizer may have a little bit of a home field advantage. He actually has three wins at the fairgrounds, whereas I don't think anyone else in the race has even set foot on the fairgrounds, at least in the race. Well, actually, it happened again. Uh, hasn't had much success, but he's raced there. At least Al Mutasib has a work down at the fairgrounds, a five furlong breeze listed in 101 flat. Uh, so he got, he at least got to get over the track. In fact, it looks like he may have worked with Harmonizer that day. They worked the same day, the same distance, and the same exact time. So who knows if they worked in company? Well, I, I think you're right. I would not want to have been standing next to Merrill Scherer when that race at Hawthorne became official and he saw somebody putting a halter on this horse. I really think, as you said, he, he was trying to sneak one in. Anyhow, it's an interesting uh, 
uh, day of races uh, for uh, our, our listeners to check out. That'll be at the fairgrounds. It's the Claiming Crown. And uh, let's move out west uh, for a race. It's the uh, 33rd running of uh, the Native Diver Handicap. Uh, they'll be going uh, a mile and an eighth out there. And uh, there's just an angle that, that, that I've had out here, and it's, I call it the Killer Bees. Uh, when Rafael Bayarano and Bob Baffert hook up, they got a horse in here called Tweebster. I know there's seems like it might be a rider's race. There's not a whole lot of pace, and Tweebster looks like it could be the horse in control. I'm interested in hearing who Bobby Newman likes. I, in fact, that's the only one I could find that I could legitimately see going to the lead, and I don't think this horse is going to have to go too hard to get the lead. Uh, he obviously is very talented, finishing the second behind Twirling Candy three starts back. He was only six and three-quarters lengths behind Game On Dude in his uh, next race. Then last time out, I don't know what happened uh, when he was 6-5 to five in the Yo 11 stake, I believe, on uh, opening day at Hollywood Park. Uh, he ran second that day. I'm, I'm not really sure it was his best race. problem I have with Tweebster is that they're getting the blinkers off this horse. Yeah. Normally, I would think that they're, that means they're trying to get the horse to relax a little bit more, not to show more speed. So who knows who's going to make the lead? in this race on Saturday. If Tweebster gets in front, he's definitely one of the ones, but uh, this race is wide open. Well, people that uh, listen to the show regularly know that, that one of, I do have a favorite uh, handicapping angle, and it's an equipment change. But what has to come with the equipment change is a bullet work. Blinkers off, look down to November 28th, bullet work at Hollywood Park. So, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe your uh, you're, uh, yeah, U of A uh, buddy there, Bob Baffert, knows a little bit more than we do about Tweebster because, obviously, I don't know, you know, it's, does, it's not running with eight horses in the morning, but horse didn't have any problem putting speed in with the blinkers, I'm assuming with the blinkers off that morning. So I think Tweebster is one of the better bets on the card. Well, listen, Bobby, I only got about a, a minute left. I just want to ask you personally, what, in your opinion, is the best race you've ever called? Wow, that's a tumper. Uh, I, I think it may have been this year, uh, at least uh, the most exciting race I called was the uh, Princess Rooney. It was a race where Musical Romance got an absolutely perfect ride from Juan Leva, split fillies and came on and, and just got nailed, literally got nailed in the final jump uh, by the favored mare who looked like she didn't even grasp hold of the track for the first half mile. Uh, it was a filly who ended up being about 15, 18 lengths back and usually comes from just off the pace, and she ended up nailing her right on the wire. It was really a very, very exciting finish. And, and I'm sure that you, Bobby Newman, put the excitement in that finish. Well, thanks for being with us on, on winningponies.com. Bobby Newman, ladies and gentlemen, you'll get a daily double of him because when Calder's over, you can hear him in Tampa for a couple of days. Bobby, thanks a lot for being on the show. All right, John, have a good one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to winningponies.com. I want to thank Steve Haskin for being with us and giving us his insights. Don't forget, pick up all the great products from winningponies.com to add to the races uh, that these handicappers have told us about. Hopefully, everybody's going to cash in a big ticket. Well, ladies and gentlemen, from across the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.